0: Welcome to Three Minute Ministry Mentor. I'm your host, Eileen Campbell-Reed. In season five, we are excited to bring you interviews and conversations to inform and inspire your practice of ministry and nurture your pastoral imagination. Welcome to another episode of Three Minute Ministry Mentor. I'm excited today to welcome my friend and our guest, Dr. Joyce Ann Mercer. Uh, Welcome, Joyce. We're glad you could be here today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I want to tell you all a little bit about Joyce. Uh, She is currently Associate Dean for Academic Affairs and the Horace Bushnell Professor of Practical Theology and Pastoral Care at Yale Divinity School. And we're delighted she could be with us. i have had the great pleasure uh, and joy of working with Joyce in a variety of ways over the last few years. Um, She has written and edited many important books, and we'll share those links in the blog that goes along with this video. Uh, She's written about girls, about children, about women, practical theology and research. And uh, she was the editor of a book um, that that I contributed to, and uh, my favorite memory of Joyce from editing my work uh, in that book was that um, she said, Don't use the passive voice. You're not a passive person. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> It was the takeaway remembering line from being edited by Joyce in that book. The book was called Conundrums in Practical Theology. It's an excellent book, especially for researchers and people who study uh, practical theology and was edited by uh, Joyce and uh, my um, advisor and mentor, Bonnie Miller McLemore. So I encourage those of you who are interested in practical theology to take a look at the book. (laughs) Um, Joyce is also currently working on a book uh, with Oxford University Press that's about congregational study of churches and those who are in conflict with uh, their denominations over sexuality, a very important topic. Maybe when that book's ready, we'll have you back for another conversation about that. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, today we invited uh, Joyce to come and talk with us about uh, loss and grief. Uh, she, like I, has been have has been teaching in pastoral theology and care over the last um, years of her career. And um, I saw caught a, a glimpse of an article she had written for the Presbyterian Outlook uh, about ambiguous loss. And I had recently, just before that, learned about mm-hmm. Pauline Boss's work in ambiguous loss myself. And I was really um, Excited to uh, find out that Joyce had written about this and wanted to talk with her so that all of us could be just um, grasping this kind of loss that we've been living through collectively uh, since March of 2020. It's so hard to believe it's been nearly Three years. And so, uh, Joyce, I want to start with a get to the heart of it kind of question. And I want you to tell us what you understand uh, to be the character of grief that many of us are carrying as we emerge from this never ending COVID 19 pandemic.
1: Yeah, thank you, Eileen. I think that um,
0: there's a tendency
1: to associate the term grief with death. Mm-hmm because that's a pretty obvious form of loss that we all encounter at some point as human beings and other creatures too, many. So um, the thing that we know from this pandemic experience is that grief is not only the loss that happens when someone loses their life, when they die, but it also involves all kinds of other losses, micro losses, meso, middle kinds of losses, losses that, happen and we can say this was the moment that it took place and then losses that kind of seem to go on and on and have no definite ending point and we're not even perhaps sure if there was a beginning point and so that gets into the kind of loss that um, we can use Pauline Boss's term ambiguous loss to talk about uh, when there's no clear sense of an ending when it's hard to characterize what kind of loss and grief it is.
0: Yeah, I want to share a quote from uh, Pauline Boss and then let's talk about that. I'll read it. Ambiguous loss makes us feel incompetent. It erodes our sense of mastery and destroys our belief in the world as a fair, orderly, and manageable place.
1: Yeah, so um, Pauline Boss is a social scientist and, and a person who's taught a lot of people in counseling kinds of work at the University of Minnesota. And several years ago, she coined the term ambiguous loss to name these kinds of losses that are just have very unclear edges to them. And she talked about how some ambiguous loss, there's physical presence but psychological absence. Yeah. And some. It's the other way around. There's a a physical absence, but psychological presence. So we can think um, of examples of that. So perhaps a family that has a um, member of the family who's deployed in the military. They're not physically present, but there's a sense of loss of them in the family and in the environment yet they're psychologically very present. They may take up even more space psychologically than they are actually physically there. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are the ones who are physically present, but where there's a sense of um, the loss of the person in the relationship. So we see this with situations where there's dementia or Alzheimer's or um, other things that affect a person's ability to be present present in a relational way.
0: Right. Yeah. Those are, those are kind of, even though they're um, maybe not super common, they are, those are universal kinds of experiences. Uh, You know, I think about my own grandparents, different ones of them who had illness and uh, strokes and the kind of loss at the end of life that meant they weren't present relationally. Uh, And it was hard. It is a, it's a, it's an ambiguous feeling about, are they here? Are they gone? Are they? And that's the kinds of losses with people that we experience and bosses terms are so helpful there. We, I tried to write about ambiguous loss uh, in the pandemic pastoring report. And so uh-huh. I put it right here, <laughs> I yeah. actually print a copy, you know, and I was talking about the kinds of embodied losses that we mm-hmm. had very hard to name. Like we, we lost our rituals and our habits of how we, that's right. Or together, um, for instance, church, church is the you know great example, or school. We both teach in schools, where suddenly we went from being in classrooms and sanctuaries and uh, fellowship halls together, to being like this on a screen with each other, and there was a loss in that that was incredibly hard to get your hands on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, we carry that grief with us. What? What's your experience and observation about the way that grief impacts, is impacting people in an ongoing way?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is that we don't even necessarily recognize it as a loss until we're in it. And then there's just the feeling that something is off and there's um, maybe many different kinds of emotions, but it's not named as loss sometimes. Right. Like I think when we were first in that experience of, of moving from real-time relationships in the flesh to screen-time relationships, where we could hear each other's voices and have the visual, but there is a, a differently embodied element to virtual relationships. And so it seemed like we were together, yet not. Yeah. And that aspect of it has made it hard for for many of us to actually acknowledge, oh, there's a loss here. And it's hard for us to grieve what we can't acknowledge.